So Money Episode 450, Andrew Zimmern, host of Bizarre Foods. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. August 1st, stir-fried donkey, anyone? You're like, what? Our guest today would call that a delicacy. Andrew Zimmern is here, ladies and gentlemen. He is a three-time James Beard award-winning TV personality, chef, writer, and teacher. He's one of the most well-known and knowledgeable personalities in the food world and the creator, executive producer, and host of the Bizarre Foods franchise on the Travel Channel. Maybe you've caught it. Andrew daringly eats what few of us would ever, ever put in our mouths. But that's why he makes the big bucks. But his success arrives from a challenging past. And he knew from a young age that he wanted to be in the food industry. But his drug and alcohol addictions actually made him crash and burn. He spiraled out of control, lost his apartment. He lived on the streets for a year. After his friend intervened, Andrew attended the Hazelden Foundation in Minnesota. He began washing dishes at a restaurant as he worked through his sobriety. And one day when a line cook didn't show up for his shift... Andrew took over his station and within seven weeks was named executive chef. Andrew was responsible for turning the restaurant under trois into one of America's first successful gastro bistros. On top of bizarre foods, Andrew has a new show debuting in August called Driven by Food, which he'll tell us all about in the interview. And in our conversation, Andrew also spoke openly and honestly about being addicted to work and possibly money these days, and how we can create a deeper personal motivation for working hard and being smart with our money. Here's Andrew Zimmern. Andrew Zimmern, welcome to So Money. Great to talk to you. You are a man on a mission. You know, many people know you as the host of your travel channel show, Bizarre Foods. Mm-hmm. I see you on talk shows, scaring off the hosts by in, you know encouraging them to eat, you know, all sorts of intestines and brains and animal parts. But you are a man on a mission. What I mean by that is that, you know, when you sort of explore really all the projects that you're up to and including your latest one that's about to launch your new show, um, it's it's more than just food that you care about. 
Yeah, I, I actually don't care at all about food, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is very strange when I start talking about it from a 5,000 foot above sea level sort of point of view. Um, I happen to be expert at food. Food is the prism through which I gaze at everything. Food is my lens. It's my microscope. Um, an art historian can look at a 16th century Flemish painting and tell the history of Northern Europe just by gazing at the images that are and the iconography that's represented um, in oils on that canvas. You know, I can look at a bowl of soup in Nicaragua and tell you the history of of the, the people who are making it. Um, but at the same time, if I had another mechanism that worked as well for me, I'd use that. Because my show isn't about, you know, fat white guy goes around world eats bugs. <laughs> my show is about trying to teach the world patience, tolerance, and understanding, because I don't think we have enough of it. My show is about trying to have a conversation about something we love, food, rather than about things that divide us, like our sexuality, our political preferences, our spiritual belief systems, our skin color, our language. Um, and I also feel very strongly that um, we, we are in desperate need of a solution to our, what I call our kitchen table issues uh, in America today. They also affect our, uh, our, our wellness uh, quotient in America today, diabetes, weight issues, et cetera. But these kitchen table issues, I think, can best be solved by eating our way out of the problem. Example, if because we only eat, uh, for the most part, commodity uh, beef, pork, and chicken in America, if we all could eat more naturally raised local turkey, duck, goat, rabbit, I mean, I'm not suggesting we turn America into a culture of bug eaters. That's never going to happen. However, I do think if we spread out our choices across a larger buffet table, I even believe Americans should be going vegetarian a couple meals a week. I even believe Americans should be using meal replacement one meal a week, things like Soylent um, and other meal replacement opportunities. It would ease the pressure on the food system to the point that we would create a more sustainable uh, environment for ourselves. And I think the way to create a more sustainable universe can start by being more sustainable eaters. People ask all the time, well, how do I, I see all these problems. I hear all these problems. How can I help solve our um, uh, ecological imbalance? How can I work on global warming? Well, one way would be the way you eat. And I think in that sense, I definitely am, am a man on a mission. And I, I think the last thing I would probably speak to on that issue is, you know, we, I, as the owner of, of three different companies um, and a teacher and, you know, a, a, a lot of other titles, the one thing everything I do has in common is it's about adventure learning. And I believe very, very strongly in in new learning. And I believe very, very strongly that we have to do it in an adventurous spirit that provides entertainment for people. Do you feel that television 
is the best way to execute that mission. You are a seasoned host. You have a lot of experience working with networks. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you've launched your own full service production company, which says to me as someone yep. who's also worked in TV that you want to have more control in the output. And I was just listening to your interview with, um, with Copelman on Slate's radio show podcast. Yep. And you guys were talking about kind of the, the love hate relationship a little bit with net television networks and making sure that, you know, at the end of the day, you feel what your output is, is true to what you want out there in the world. So tell us a little about the conflict maybe of, of of executing this mission on television, which is still, I think, a very powerful medium. But um, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. Well, it's the most, it's still the most powerful medium. And it's the one that I have the most success in. And it's the one that I have the largest audience in. And so I love television. I love my you know, relationship with, you know, my network, um, the, you know, let me back up to the beginning of the, of the question, which was, you know, launching my own production company. Um, the reason that I launched my own production company was to not necessarily gain more control over my own TV career it was because I can only be in one show at a time, basically. I mean, I, I have several shows that air on Travel Channel. We have Bizarre Foods. We have Bizarre Foods Delicious Destinations. Uh, we just shot a couple of new pilots for them. And we have Driven by Food, which I think is some of the best work I've ever done that premieres uh, mid-August on Travel Channel. Um, so, I mean, that's that's you know, that's my current work and, you know, Bizarre Foods airs in 68 countries. I mean, that's a very, very large platform. And so I, I fight tooth and nail with, with everyone, with my team in the field, with the production companies that I partner with on some of my shows, some of the driven by food I make myself. Um, I, I have healthy creative struggles with everyone in trying to get my agenda pushed forward. And the reason is, is that I believe that if you are given a platform like that and you're not using it to make the world a better place, you are squandering uh, an opportunity. And in fact, in a world that is metaphorically spinning out of control, um, I think it's even more incumbent upon those of us who are in a position to educate and illuminate to do so. Now, I also am part of a, uh, I mean, I very willingly work for a lifestyle network that makes entertainment television. I believe that I could do the same show on a smaller format on a different, in a different place like PBS or online or make documentaries or whatever. And, I would have less of an impact. Um, fewer people would see the product. And the people who do see the product, in the vast majority, be, would be ones that already agree with me. They don't need the educating. <laughs> um, so I am a million times grateful uh, for my relationship with the network and the opportunity to tell my stories on you know, major cable television in 70 countries around the world. It is a phenomenal platform. Last night, um, 
And obviously, we're taping this interview, but uh, last night was our Senegal episode of Bizarre Foods. And I, you know, my Twitter feed and Instagram feed just exploded. And the, I was stunned that the difference, you know, I've been on TV 10, 11 years now. And, you know, when I used to make shows about Africa, I would get some people who would, you know, quote unquote, get what I was trying to say. But almost everybody there talked about the the beauty and the nobility and the culture and the food and the beauty of Western Africa. Um, very few jokes about it, very few negative responses to it. Um, it was completely different than when we did our first Africa shows 10 years ago. And I think the reason is, is because we're really good at messaging what's important about travel, especially to places like Senegal, where very few people go. Now, the reason that I started the production company was because I can, as I said, I can only be kind of in one place at one time. But if I have a production company that's dedicated to the same mission that I'm dedicated to, I can make shows with other people in it that are also trying to make a difference on the issues I believe need to be put in front of Americans and the world at large. And that's why we did it. I also believe uh, that uh, big business is not the enemy of social justice movements and change via social justice movements. I believe big business can be our greatest ally um, in uh, change, especially via social justice movements. And so for that reason, we're also doing a lot of branded content uh, with Fortune 500 companies. Um, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, it took 25 years to put a label on the side of a pack of cigarettes that said that smoking kills you. Um, my kid's generation, he's 11, no longer thinks smoking is cool. Um, my kid, uh, you know, when my dad bought the station wagon, when I was 11 years old, he stuffed the seat belts in between the, the two cushions on the seat. Um, it was today, an eyesore in the car. <laughs> yeah. With, today, when I get in the car, my son is like, do you put your seatbelt on? I mean, I can't even put a foot in the car with, without him <laughs> saying that. And that's the result of a 40 year social justice movement that, you know, makes people more aware that seatbelts save lives. So, you know, if you look at that kind of thing, if you have the buy-in of Detroit, say with the car issue or the tobacco companies with the smoking issue, your problem gets solved a lot faster, right? right. Uh, the, the resistance is lowered. So I believe in engaging these companies. I'm a child of the 60s. I, I've spent 20 years screaming at Fortune 100 food companies uh, to try to change the way they do business um, and got no results. And, you know, if you're angry and you're yelling at people, they're not going to listen to you. But if you walk into their doors and start working with them to uh, be a catalyst for positive change, um, you can get an awful lot done, uh, which is why I work with a lot of big Fortune 500 companies. And, I, I, you know, I work with General Mills. Um, you know, I'm there, you know, you know, inside the house, you know, shit stirrer. I mean, that's really my I'm an awareness raiser for them, uh, you know, inside their hallowed halls. 
to try to illuminate what the real food issues are for their employees and inspire some passion around the issues uh, that I believe so strongly in. That's a very prescient and forward-thinking move on the part of a company like General Mills to have someone like me come in and, you know, tell them. I'm talking about board members. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, I mean, I speak to line employees there too, but I'm talking about at the highest level in that company to come in there and have conversations with them about what's important in the in the food world. It's amazing what can get done. And so my production company, because as you so, you know, rightly stated with your question, despite the fact that uh, internet and uh, digital watching of all different varieties is growing exponentially, and despite the fact that for the first month ever, I think it was April, uh, or maybe it was May, uh, ad sales online, uh, bested ad sales in conventional TV uh, for the first time in history, um, and it won't be the last month that that happens. Um, even though things are changing radically, TV is still the accepted norm for success, and it's still the way to reach the largest international audience. So I treasure the TV uh, audience. I just started a production company so I could reach more of them with more ideas. I'm also a, I mean, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneuraholic. I mean, I just love, I love ideas and and you were just saying, I love making ideas actionable. Yeah. And I think what you're doing, you're calling these companies, you know, like these brands, how forward thinking they are to partner with you. But honestly, to hear this evolution of your career, I'm, I can't help but think Andrew Zimmern is first and foremost, an entrepreneur. And I hope that it is going to influence other people that, you know, happen to get a TV show or have the privilege of having a TV platform to think like you are, because that is ultimately selfishly, I think, security for you in some ways to have a bigger handle on your own destiny. Because um, I think when you work in a big medium like television, where there are a lot of decision makers, I I felt very vulnerable in that role. It's uh, you're one person, even though you might be carrying a show and you are what's bringing in the ratings. It, it's, it's important to always think about kind of protecting yourself in that process. Well, you know, it's that is um, I I feel the same thing, but I look at it, uh, I turn it around a little bit when I'm talking about it with people. Um, everybody is measured in life a different way. And as a business person, a lot of that goes back to the nature of the uh, work reward system that is baked into our contractual lives. Now, I happen to teach entrepreneurship at Babson College um, in one of my other 75 jobs. <laughs> um, I'm the entrepreneur in residence uh, and have been for, oh, five years now at the Lewis Institute and in particular at Project Soul, which is a group within the Lewis Institute that focuses on uh, startup food companies. And um, I talk with my students a lot about this, that as you grow, And as you become more successful, regardless of what happens, you end up having more deals and contracts with more people. Even if you're a plumber, you know, you you end up with more clients. If you're successful, you know, when you start out, you have two or three clients. And the next thing you know, you have 100, right? Um, All of those contracts have work reward uh, propositions baked into them. 
the more complex the businesses are, the more complex those work reward systems are. And you end up sometimes, sometimes a creative project. And you can see where I'm going with this because we're going to start talking about TV. Yeah. Where everybody is rewarded a different way, has different risk, and is measured a different way. And so, you know, television, when you, when you say that when you were involved in that, you felt vulnerable, I think the root cause of that is um, the push-me-pull-you between different entities that all have different work relationships and responsibilities to a given project, all of whom are measured a different way. I'll give you an example. Um, I make Bizarre Foods with another production company, not my own, and we deliver that to Travel Channel. I do not have a business relationship or a contract with that other production company. The production company is responsible for delivering a show on time, on budget, et cetera. As the talent, I'm responsible for doing my thing. So everyone is measured a different way. The more tenuous those projects and relationships become, the more hands that are in the pot, the, the people have a lot of overlapping goals. In other words, everyone on the Bizarre Foods team, network, production company, talent, everybody wants the show to be good and successful and for viewers to love it. Because if that happens, that's our biggest overlapping desire. Then we're, then we're all happy and successful. But everyone's responsible for doing work and getting measured a different way. And that's why TV gets kind of so complex, because you have so many different groups making so many different things together so many different ways. Um, I, I think it gets even more complex in the world away from TV, uh, in the digital world. Um, right now, today, 2016, it's extremely simple. However, I think it's only going to get more complex as more and more viewers come in and more and more advertising dollars come in. I, you know, famously when Alcoholics Anonymous was founded, um, the, the, the first couple of the people who created it, Bill Wilson and his partner, Dr. Bob, uh, you know, had a famous dinner with, with, you know, Mr. Rockefeller and they were seeking advice from him and they were actually asking him for, uh, I, I believe, a loan to help get the big book published and stuff. And Rockefeller's comment to them, which I, I has been one of the great lessons in my life. He said, he said, guys, money's going to ruin this thing. You're on to something really, really special. Money's going to ruin it. And the AA founders decided at that moment that they were, they were going to essentially self-publish this book, that they were not going to charge people because there were members in the early days that said, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to charge people to go to these meetings. And, you know, they ended up doing it all for free. They ended up doing it all by donation. They ended up doing it where all the groups were autonomous. I mean, they couldn't have made it more open source. They weren't using the words back then, but they made it purely open source. And it has continued to flourish and grow now for, you know, 80 years. The, the world of digital television, I see the same way. It, it started out for free and for fun, right? You and I make a funny video. We post it on YouTube. <laughs> it gets thousands of hits. And then someone else does it and they get tens of thousands. And then someone says to themselves, holy moly, that glossy uh, uh, city magazine 
uh, you know, every city has one, right? Uh, that glossy page city magazine charges $5,000 a page, but their circulation is 80,000 people or a hundred thousand or 200,000 people. My videos are being watched 5 million times in one week or a million times in one month. Doesn't that have value? Don't those eyeballs have value? And you start to get advertising and you start to get a vastly uh, complex internecine web of, yes, overlapping desire, but yes, conflict on the digital side uh, because there are fewer rules and there's more players. And, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating over the next two or three years uh, for entrepreneurs, for media companies, for, for artists, talent, uh, and other people to watch how this digital uh, entertainment world unfolds because there's a very conventional model. For example, TV network owns uh, a website and puts their product on it for pay or for not, right? I mean, you know, Showtime, if you subscribe to it through your uh, cable provider, you enter in your code and you can watch Showtime on your iPad, right? Um, but then there's people who are charging per view. There are people who are using an advertising model with their YouTube stuff. I mean, it's really getting very complex and it's going to be fascinating to see with all the different systems that are out there and the different types of relationships and reward, uh, work and reward systems out there to see what kind of floats to the surface. Um, I would caution anyone getting into it that the fewer people who are touching the product and the fewer work reward systems that are baked into a contractual relationship, the more successful that relationship chances are of it becoming because you have fewer people and those entities involved are all singing off the same song sheet. Money, we spend a lot of time talking about how to live a richer life. And some of us are hustling as entrepreneurs, which can make managing money even more complex. Enter FreshBooks, the easy cloud accounting software made specifically for entrepreneurs and business owners who need to find a better way to deal with their paperwork. For example, invoicing. With FreshBooks, it takes about 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional looking invoice. FreshBooks also has automated expense tracking where you can link your FreshBooks account account to your credit and debit cards. The next time you expense that business lunch or a tank of gas, it'll show up automatically in your FreshBooks account. Accepting online payments can be a challenge sometimes, but with FreshBooks, it takes two clicks. For a free 30-day unrestricted trial, go to freshbooks.com slash so money and enter so money podcast in the how did you hear about us section. If you have any questions, FreshBooks award-winning customer service is super helpful, friendly, and has zero attitude. So give FreshBooks a try for 30 days for free by going to freshbooks.com slash so money and enter so money podcast in the how did you hear about us section. You have such an appetite for life. My goodness. I mean, really, you, you, the way you talk about the future, the way you talk about your projects today, it's incredibly inspiring, encouraging. And I wonder, Andrew, how much of that is rooted in your 
your own personal journey to get to this point. You know, it's not a secret that you battled with addiction and alcoholism. You at one point, you know, talk about how you spiraled out of control. It was a friend who intervened. You got the right help, the help. Well, that I, was you needed. Ho- I was homeless. I was I was squatting a building in lower Manhattan. You were stealing. You were squatting with a bottle gang. Yeah, I was a mess. And but you were given a second chance and you worked your, your way out of that. So when you reemerged, did you make a commitment to making sure that you weren't going to waste a single day? Um, I don't think I made that commitment. I think it just happened. Um, I don't remember the 80s. I mean, I have a lost decade. Um, and, you know, I also should have died 100 times. I also crossed 100 lines in terms of my own moral compass, I, I never should have crossed. Um, I spent the first 30 plus years of my life being a user of people and a taker of things. I mean, that's what I did. I used people and I took things. And my, you know, my life today is, I mean, I fight that every single day because deep down inside, I think to a certain degree, Yes, I've changed. But I think to another degree, there is this thing inside of me that at any moment can activate again and be a user of people and a taker of things. And I don't want to go back to that lifestyle. I don't want to be a person who is a user of people or taker of things. I want to bring things to communities. I don't want to be a taker of things from communities. Um, I am, you know, I mean, part of this is, you know, how do you want to be happy? You know, what makes you happy? What's your, what's your, what's your spiritual practice that keeps you happy? It can, I mean, you you don't have to be religious. It can be as simple as, you know, I believe in doing unto others, you know, and, and those, those little homilies and, you know, uh, uh, everything I learned, everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten sort of posters, um, some people just practice that and are extremely successful internally and externally. Um, for me, I have to work hard every single day to not be the, the asshole that lives inside of me. Um, I, I purposely put, if, if I put a business model in front of myself, that's about giving, um, or has a giving component to it, I've baked something in that's going to, I can always default to, and I can always remember that that's why I got into something. It's why I, um, it's why I do the coursework that I do at Dabson college with, without pay. It's why I do the board work on the boards that I serve, um, and don't take remuneration for it. It's why I, um, don't get involved in new, any new business that doesn't have a charitable component to it. Um, it's, it's, you know, if you predicate a piece of yourself on giving back, then it's really, really hard to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends up being the reminder to me that I can't live the way that I used to live. Now I do other things to actually, you know, I, I take my medicine quote unquote, so that I don't, drink or drug or wind up being homeless again. And there are certain things that I practices that I put into my life that, um, that help ensure that. But if it, if you ignore your work life, if, if that's who you are as a human being, and you're going to do that 
thing and get well in your personal life, but you're not going to let that recovery happen in your business life, you're a schmuck. It's, it, it's going to kill you. It will come back. Or you're going to have you know one foot in each in two different worlds, and that's not sustainable either. Um, I learned long ago that uh, my personal recovery and my personal uh, happiness and wellness quotient has to be practiced in the workplace, in my home, with my friends, everywhere that I show up, it needs to come with me. It needs to be inside of me. It needs to be everywhere. Because if I'm, if I'm not, I will go back to being that user of people and taker of things. So for me, it's a very selfish survival strategy. Um, I will be honest with you. Um, I, I think any armchair psychologist will tell you that for someone like me, who is a chronic overachiever, workaholic, all those other things, you know, idea makers, serial entrepreneur. The reason that I am go, 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 go is that I feel I spent, I wasted a lot of my years where I could have been productive, being unproductive, however you choose to define that. And I don't want to be that way anymore. Hmm. What about your relationship with money, Andrew? How would you characterize it? And how has it evolved as you've built wealth? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, money, romance and finance will make people do crazy things. <laughs> I um, like that. I'm running that. Down. I don't. It, well, it's, I mean, it, it, it is a it is a spiritual truth. Nothing, nothing. Uh, and, and you can use any aspect of that uh, collection of money, things, uh, uh, um all sorts of greed components will uh, sublimate a ton of uh, good intentions and good works. And we can mask it a hundred different ways. Oh, I need to do this for my family. Um, well, did you ask your family? Maybe your family would be comfortable in a three-bedroom house, not a five-bedroom house, or a two-bedroom house instead of a three-bedroom house. And maybe your family doesn't want to go on fancy vacations three times a year. Maybe they can go on more humble vacations twice a year because they actually want you around more. You know, right. um, we end up, those of us who are greedy and, and take, 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 tend to be people that don't get vulnerable and ask the other people in our lives, friends, partners, business associates, family members, what they would like. And um, I, I would yeah. imagine there's, I would imagine there's a lot of uh, workaholic dads listening to this right now that I would say, ask yourself, when was the last time you sat down with your kids? And I'm talking about 10, 11, 12, you know, six, seven year olds. I don't think can really have this conversation. You have to intuit a lot, but when kids start to hit 10, 11, 12, they have really good ideas. You know, what, would, what makes them happier? Having more things or having dad home more? You know, I know that my son, very vocally, because I ask him about it, wants me when I come home at night to put away the phone and the laptop. I only have two or three hours before he kind of winds down and goes to bed, right? If I come home at five and, you know, at eight o'clock for him, it's like shower and blah, blah, blah. And by, you know, 45 minutes there, he's asleep right on a school night. I only have a couple hours with him and I'm away a lot. Too. So, you know, he doesn't want me working. So if that means I'm not on the phone or the laptop, that means I'm going to have to say no to certain things. 
And by the way, those are things that are very sexy and very alluring and very seductive because money is a very, very seductive thing. Uh, I am, I am an addict and an alcoholic, but my disease right now, I sort of think about it. It's, I, I have a disease called more, you know, I'm just whatever it is, give me more of it, you know, addicted to accomplishment. Yeah. Some might call it that, you know, I, I just want more, just want more. And, um, so I have to be very careful with, that. I have to monitor that very, very closely. There's a very healthy part of that growing my business, making it sustainable, transitioning it into things that don't involve my day-to-day personal input, you know, um, trying to build things that have mailbox money attached to it, you know, where I don't have to be out, you know, it's not value added by having me as part of it. I mean, I wish I could invent a widget that sold and, you know, you know, just have it be pure mailbox money. Who doesn't want that? But if you don't, if these things are dreams of yours and they stay being dreams, shame on you. I think if you have dreams about what your number is, what makes you happy, what makes your family happy, what makes your employees happy, your friends happy, yourself happy, put some deadlines and some goals around it. Work with some people to actually quantify it so you can operationalize that because then a dream becomes a goal. And goals, for the most part, when you're working with other people, end up being reality. Goals you're working on by yourself end up never happening. I mean, that's like saying you're going to go to the gym every day and lose 10 more pounds. I mean, for most people, it never happens. They're not disciplined enough. When you share it with other people, when you bring other people and enroll them in your dream, they can help you put boundaries around it, goals, deadlines, dates, process. They can help you operationalize it. And you can get to where you want to be. And then it, it goes from dream to goal to reality. And so that's, I mean, we try to do that with all of our businesses. Um, I've had to, the, the longer that I've been in business, um, the more successful that I've become dollar wise. You know, I mean, one year might be flatter than another, but in general, over the last 15, 20 years, it, you know, it's been a steady climb upwards in terms of, you know, you know, numbers. But we've also taken a lot of that, and I, I don't think I'm any more well-off. I don't have more money in the bank because I've invested in people and in ideas, and I'm in this for the long haul. I'm trying to build sustainable businesses that put my kids through college, but also you know, the 27 employees that I have. You know, I mean, we are – we're launching a big uh, food service uh, company, Passport Hospitality. Uh, the production company just launched a, a, a year ago. Um, you know, these are two very big ventures that we think can be very successful for us, and we, we're very talented at them. Um, but it's about more than just me. And when I make it about more than just me, I end up being absolutely okay. You talked about relationship with money. When I'm just thinking about me, 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 my relationship with money is twisted. It, 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 I, I'm in constant state of financial insecurity. Um, whatever I have isn't enough. My mind plays these horrible tricks on me. Um, when I make it a we thing and it's all about the people I work with and creating these sustainable models and their 
uh, personal outcomes and retaining those people and growing those people and growing our business. When I make it a we thing and I throw in the charitable component to it and I create a different type of business that is contributing to the world instead of taking from it, I don't have financial insecurity. And it's really funny because, you know, there have been years in the last five where I've had less dollars to spend uh, than in other years. But I've never, it's, it's never caused me a moment of worry because I'm outwardly focused. When I'm inwardly focused just on me and my needs, whatever I have isn't enough because I've, I've got a disease called more. <laughs> well, I think also uh, it speaks to the accountability factor. When you feel like it's just you, um, sometimes it's not enough to just feel like I'm just doing this for myself. But when you put other people on the line, like your family, the charity that you are passionate about, the cause, the community, I think then you feel uh, just a lot more accountability, a lot more drive to, to get the, the goal accomplished. Absolutely. Then you have to be careful. You're not just overworking yourself. Then it becomes a different, you know, you have different problems. I mean, behind, behind every solution is, I mean, it's like my, my favorite, uh, moment documentary moment that has just stuck with me forever. I, I think it was the, the Lewis and Clark, uh, five or six parter on PBS about a decade ago. Um, I want to say Ken Burns did it, but, uh, the diary, uh, uh, narration, um, Lewis and Clark are headed for the Pacific ocean, right? And they find they they've learned from these Indian tribes and from other explorers and stuff that there's this mountain. And on the other side of it is this sea of giant sea of green, blah, 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 that they believe is the Pacific ocean. And so they spend this horrific year. I mean, they lose everything. I mean, all their people are dead. All their possessions are destroyed. I mean, they literally, with their dying breath, climb to the top of this one massive mountain. And they get to the top, and they they literally write it as if they pull themselves up to stretch their chin over the top. And when they get to the top of this mountain, they gaze out over this amazing ocean of endless mountain peaks. Um and that go all the way to the horizon. And so this one mountain they've climbed is the first in a series of a thousand. And it is, it just, it, I constantly visualize that. Now, eventually they get to the Pacific Ocean, right? Um, so the story has a happy ending. But the, and the Pacific Ocean does exist. But to me, with the business, with the things I do in my life, with all the stuff that I make actionable in all the different areas of the things that I do, I always remember that at the end of the day, you're going to work on this project, you're going to do this thing, and there's just going to be an endless sea of other crap out there in front of it. That the Pacific Ocean, that moment of, ah, I have finally found it and I can relax, will never, ever happen accepting that, accepting that idea has allowed me, and I call it Lewis Clark syndrome in my, in my head, um, accepting the fact that those mountains are always going to be there. Those challenges are always going to be there. Let's me know that I can slow down on certain days. I can stop. I can put something down. I can quit a project because there's going to be another mountain to climb and that the, the Pacific ocean, yes, it's out there, but then once you get there, like, you're going to look at it and you're going to be, okay, got to turn around and go home. 
You know, <laughs> you, you, you have to keep these things in perspective or else you're going to lose yourself in the work. Andrew Zimmern, thank you so much. We didn't even get a chance to really, I didn't get a chance to brag about your new show that's coming out in August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody. Driven, driven by food, mm-hmm. driven by food on the travel channel. Um, I, I'm 99%, 99.9% sure right now it's August 16th. It's a Tuesday. Tuesday nights are kind of Andrew Zimmern night on the travel channel. So we always have a show that's in premieres, whether it's driven by food, whether it's bizarre foods, uh, delicious destinations, um, or other new shows that they're going to test with being it. It's, there's always a, a new Andrew Zimmern product and reruns of really great other Andrew Zimmern products on Tuesday nights. Um, we are, we're just, we're really, really blessed that the, that audiences around the world like the content that, uh, that we're collectively making um, with these groups. And, you know, the folks at Travel Channel are absolutely fantastic uh, about creating a, a night for people to go if they want to see it. And, of course, you know, I would tell everyone the best place to check in for all things new, exciting in my world is at andrewzimmer.com. We will put all of that on the site as well. Thank you so much, Andrew, and take care of yourself. Thank you very much. It was a joy talking to you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Andrew, his website is andrewzimmern.com. New episodes of Bizarre Foods already began June 21st at 9 p.m. His new show, Driven by Food, premieres this month. It's the Travel Channel. And DVR that or stay up for it. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Zimmern. If you missed any of this, don't worry. You just go to somoneypodcast.com where you can download the audio, grab the transcript, and leave a comment. And if you have a question for me for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, just click on Ask Farnoosh, send me your question, and that is how we will connect. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. Money.